My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, fattest, strongest of them all, BFD. Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, woo! <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it feels a lot better. I'm a lot more prepared the, the second time, the third time. And you know, it's actually the seventh time because whenever we do these shows, I just talk to myself in my car all day to get prepared for it. Right. And I'm not crazy at all. So if you see me driving around and you see somebody talking to themselves in a black Honda Accord, uh, it's me, and I'm not crazy. I'm just practicing, you know. Yeah, and he kind of looks like the dude in the in the uh, that Simpsons vignette episode where he's driving in the little small car, and then Nelson does a ha ha at him, and then like the really big tall guy gets out of the car. It's like kind of like that. Yeah, that's me. That's me for sure. <laughs> you know, the one thing about being super tall that weirds me out is like if I'll be anywhere in public and I'm like sitting down, I see somebody who's like you know six four even like walking around. I'm like, oh, you know, look at that freak over there. And I stand up and like walk next to him, you know, an accident. And I'm the same height, same height as them. And every time it just sickens me that that's what I look like all the time to everybody else. <laughs> so just stick a pitchfork in me. So BFD, did you know that the fifth, the fifth caucus court in the eighth or district ruled that? And just kidding, we're not going to do that. I understand it's a, a much more important night for a lot of different reasons, specifically the election. And so, uh, but we won't talk about that. We're going to talk about Texans football. And it's a similar type of Texans football. They won another one possession game against a team that's run the ball of success. And it was just like the game against Dallas, just like the game against Buffalo. And similar to the game against Jackson, looks like the Jaguars to Cody Kessler. I couldn't manage another touchdown, so they threw an interception. I kept that game to, to two plus possessions, which was uh, very incredible and spectacular now that we're looking back on it. Yeah, and uh, so uh, where was the question that? I forgot. <laughs> We're just still uh, talking for a second. So yeah. we'll, we'll start with the, the big matchup for this game, and that was the number one run offense in football, the Denver Broncos by DVO, DVOA, playing number one run defense in football by DVOA. Uh, so in this game, Denver ran the ball 20 times for 75 yards, and they had one touchdown. Uh, Booker cut one out to the right-hand side. That was a, a nice run. The blocking was really good. He was really wide open. And they were, you know, they were pretty okay. Denver did a pretty all right job running the football. But just in general, though, when you think of Denver's offensive game plan that Bill Musgrave came up with, uh, what did you think about it overall? I, I think they did what they could do. And, and you know, it's uh, – we've been talking, you know, Matt, we, you and I are smart dudes. Humbly smart dudes, because you and I both almost nailed the exact score of this game. We knew it was going to be a low-scoring game. We were both within a couple points each way on the final score. We knew what was going to happen in this game, and it came totally to fruition, didn't it? Is that Case Keenum is not a quarterback who can beat you. Everybody should know this by now. And LOL at anybody who still thinks that Case Keenum is is going to be a quarterback that's going to win games for you. He simply is not. I hope I got that mosquito. And uh, so. You know, look, yes, Case Keenum did have a 90.4 quarterback rating on Sunday. Good for him. But here's the big deal is, is they had, uh, you know, Denver only could rush for, was limited in the rushing game. 
that's the only way they can beat you. So if Case Keenum's throwing the ball 42 times with only 26 completions, you're really you're going to win that game. And mm-hmm. I think Sunday was a perfect example of that. Case Keenum ain't going to beat you. You stop that run game. That was so good, and good things happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel a little bit differently than you. I didn't like Denver's game plan all that much, mainly because I thought they should have thrown the ball downfield a lot more. I mean, watching it, even the broadcast view, Corlin Sutton was open, was open all game against Ashreese Wright on the right sideline. Emmanuel Sanders is a really good receiver. He wasn't targeted too often at all. Well, they only threw the ball three times for 15 yards or more down the field. One play was that touchdown that Sutton dropped after Shreese Wright was able to knock it out of his hands, uh, similar, to the t- similar to some of the slant passes he stopped against Indianapolis. And then he overthrew Emmanuel Sanders really bad when he was open. And they threw just some trash over to Tim Wright. But the majority of the game was just a lot of running, a lot of play action, and a lot of pick-and-pop passes to Rod Howerman. And, you know, Keem was fine. He was you know, really mediocre. And I think it was kind of a similar game plan to what Bill O'Brien said with Deshaun Watson, where when they play against a team that has to run the ball to have success, Bill O'Brien will just make sure that Deshaun Watson doesn't throw interceptions. As long as he doesn't turn the ball over, you know, it's, they have like a 9% chance to win the game. And so Denver kind of did the other thing, except, you know, their strength running the football doesn't match very well against Houston's defense. And by doing so, by throwing all these short little passes, by running the ball as much as they did uh, without, with a little bit of success, you know, they had some big runs that kind of made the yards per attempt a little bit more inflated than their actual, I believe their actual successful running game was. They left the biggest opening against Houston uh, unearthed, and that was, or I guess like unplummeted. I don't know. But, <laughs> If you have a big opening, what you do to not take advantage of it. They didn't stumble in the biggest opening. You said they looked them and that's throw the ball downfield. And so I was disappointed by that. And then especially so like with Keenan where, you know, last year in Minnesota, he was really good throwing the ball downfield. He had success with the ball downfield in Houston, even as a third-string quarterback coming in. And, uh, and like with Sanders and Sutton, like, you know, at three and five, like that's just kind of your season right here. And they didn't take any shots deep. They played as conservatively as, conservatively as Houston. And with that, plus Vance Joseph's tactical errors, uh, they're the ones who end up losing a 19-17 game that they probably they could have won, as we saw with that in-game kick. And maybe they could have won a little bit more comfortably, and it wouldn't have even had to go to that game-winning kick if they'd done things a little bit differently. Yeah, well, let me, you know, let me say, no, I did not at all agree with the game plan by the Broncos, by, by uh, Must. Grove, the coordinator. I should double check that. Goodness. It, this game had the feel that Bill O'Brien was playing for the tie and Vance Jeffers was playing for the loss. And I just had that feel like the entire fourth quarter. It was like it was a battle of coaches who were going to out conservative the other coach who were going to avoid risks at all costs. But you can't succeed without risk. And neither coach seemed willing to take that risk. Whether it was Vance Joseph at the end of the game settling for a 51 yard field goal. It was Bill O'Brien's just general play calling strategy offensively that was super conservative, not really going for the throat. Neither of these guys wanted to take any sort of risk because that's that's what you saw. I think on the Denver offensive side of the ball was that they don't clearly don't trust uh, Case Keenum to win games, and they shouldn't. Case Keenum is not a quarterback who's going to beat you. We know this. We saw this. The Minnesota Vikings last year were successful because they had wide receivers who could pluck out, you know, pluck his hot air balloons out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to do it. I think that's a great way to say it. And, like, with Keenum last year, like, he was the most efficient quarterback in football. It was obviously an outlier of a season. It was an incredible season. 
And you can't take away what he did last year, but to expect for that to continue this year with less receivers, with the worst pass-blocking offensive line, with the worst offensive coordinator, you know, you're, you're making a mistake. And also, especially with the money that you're giving him too, whereas Minnesota is paying him nothing to, to be their starting quarterback. And so I do think that's what happened this game with the Broncos' game plan, was that they switched and they said, you know, we can't let him throw interceptions. We can't let him lose us games anymore like this. We're going to have to play like this and just kind of hold it on and have it have happened. And, like, I understand that more whenever you're playing maybe a team like Arizona or whatever, like a team with a, with a really good pass defense. But whenever you're playing Houston with the secondary that they have, I think you have to take shots deep regardless of, you know, what you're afraid of with your quarterback. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that we're playing, you know, two guys who probably shouldn't even be playing quarterback at this point of their careers and Kareem Jackson – is your best cornerback on the rot? Well, Jonathan Joseph, but you know, of course, we talked about who has Jonathan Joseph actually had to cover mm-hmm. recently. But you got it. You have to go after that. The fact that Joseph is now slow, that Kareem Jackson slow, that Sharice Wright is just awful. You have to go over these after these guys. Tyron Matthew is not a good cover safety at this point of his career. But they were too terrified. The Broncos were that Case Keenum was going to get was going to take too many Keenums this game. Yeah, yeah, and he was only sacked twice this game. And he lost 14 yards on his two sacks, of course, which is pretty beautiful. So, like, as an average, he took a Keenum in this game. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I, I like my Keenums. Yeah, I wanted a longer one. I didn't want them just kind of be average. And he did a pretty good job, though, giving the ball away whenever Wyatt wrapped up around his ankles. My favorite Keenum play, though, was whenever he threw that little side under, uh, underhand, underhand pass over to the – I think it was to Howerman that picked up, like, four yards or whatever whenever Walt was coming at him. And that was the only little bit of cute Keenum we saw. He was pretty, like, polished and put together this game. And it was disappointing. I wanted him to be a little bit more, you know, stained. I wanted his tie to be a little bit more ruffled in this game. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, get, I agree. So Denver only attempted, only attempted three deep field passes. You know, Houston's scheduled the rest of the year. They're playing Washington after the bye. Washington lost their entire offensive line last week against Atlanta. Uh, Indy is throwing the ball a lot. They're not super – efficient throwing it but they're throwing a lot and they still have T.Y. Hilton and Andrew Luck is like playing himself back into being a really good quarterback they're playing the Eagles towards the end of the year I think uh, they're playing the Eagles with week 16 or week 15 this is all off the top of my head this is a no facts podcast uh, tonight and then after that you know the playoffs will happen and so it kind of looks like the Texans are a kind of set for a playoff spot and so potentially they're gonna have to either play you know, Cincinnati or the Chargers or the Patriots, or the Chiefs, or the Steelers in the postseason. And do you like Houston's chances against any of those teams at all that spread it out and throw the ball as much as those teams do? Well, I mean, let's just look at the – I'm just going to go to DVOA because my emotion's not involved in it. I think it's just the, the better way to go. So just in the AFC alone, by looking at DVOA, you've got KC, you've got um, the Chargers. Um, they should be first and pass off in DVOA. Uh, yeah, KC is, yeah. So you got KC, you got the Chargers, you got New England, you've got Denver, who we beat, of course. But that's not a good matchup because they're not a team who spreads who who does that. They don't have the passing game to do that. Baltimore, Joe Flacco is rejuvenated this year, and then Ben Rethelsberger in Pittsburgh. So those are five teams. I'm sorry, one, two, three, four, five teams. Five teams that will spread the ball and throw it around. All of those teams are a terrible matchup for us. And those are the five most likely teams to be in the playoffs this year. 
So not one of those games is a good matchup for the Texans on the defensive side of the ball, right? Offensively, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the only team that's really, really bad on that entire list is, is Pittsburgh. They're 21st. KC is 27. So they're pretty bad too. But, you know, you have some good defenses in there as well. So I, I don't see a good matchup here, Matt. Yeah, and, and that's what I was kind of, uh, you know, leaning towards by saying. I think also the Bengals, too, are a potential playoff team. They're 5-3. and three, And with the way the Ravens' passing offense has looked, um, you know, they really have kind of stagnated, especially last week against Pittsburgh where, you know, Flacco's missing open receivers, that sort of thing again. And the, Steel- the Bengals are a really good spread passing offensive team this year. And they also they run vertically really well, too. I know that, that probably won't work very well against Houston, uh, but for the rest of the year – you know, I like the Bengals' chances more than the Ravens to make the playoffs as of right now. But I, I think this point I'm, I'm trying to make, though, is that you know the, the Texans are winning games right now, mainly because their schedule is broken you know, nicely. And, you know, that's the main reason. And, yeah, you know, Bill Bryant's done a nice job of doing things that he should have done four weeks ago, or I guess, you know, week three was, what, six weeks ago, to make this offense better, make this defense better. Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt finally rushing the passer, made things better. Uh, playing the younger players that should have been playing sooner has made this team better. You know, he's done things on his end to help things out, but you know, predominantly just the way the schedule is broken for him so well, I think it's been the biggest key. And then also winning one-score games that they you know lost the first three weeks of the year. They're winning those games now. I know Houston is uh, 30th in their past schedule, DVOA, and it's 28th the rest of the way here from now on out. So they've played one of the easiest schedules in football, and they'll continue to too. And so. My point with, with about the defense is that in the playoffs, they're going to play really good pass offense teams. Those teams are actually going to take advantage of the Houston secondary. And so right now the Texans' offense is so stagnant where it seems like they're running – they have like, like two good drives in them, like interesting plays. They're doing things the way it should look, and they run the offense the way it should look all game, but it's only for two drives. And then it stops and becomes a lot of inside zone running, a lot of third down, hold the ball forever, nobody's open you know, run and slide five yards towards the sticks. And the thing is, is that the offense is going to have to start scoring 31 points a game before the postseason for the Texans to be anything more than, you know, first-round playoff fodder. And so, like, whenever we watch these games and we're seeing 19-17, we're seeing 21-18, like, it's great that they're winning. You know, wins are always good. I get happy when the Texans win games. But in the bigger picture of it all, 21 points against the Broncos isn't going to help you whenever you play the Kansas City Chiefs. You, you have to score – you know, 34, 37 points. And if that probably wouldn't even be enough. And so now it's the time for the offense to actually practice and to start doing these things that they're going to need to do in December and January. And right now in uh, November, now that the month has started, you know, it hasn't happened, happened in October. But now it's the time to be aggressive and learn these things and get better at it and improve on the offense instead of saying, well, we got 20 points now. We can hang out. We can you know, potentially win this game. And, uh, and it's worked, you know, for six weeks in a row. But to be anything more than the AFC South champion, uh, things are going to have to change, and they're going to have to get more aggressive and just be a better offensive football team in general. In today's NFL, a good offense beats a good defense, period. So the days of the Baltimore Ravens' 2000 season are over. They've been over for 18 years, right? That was 2000. Uh, so you have to have a good offense to win in today's NFL. And we only talked about the AFC teams. Look at the NFC teams. Even if we were going to get to the Super Bowl, you got Carolina, 
Chicago. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I missed the Rams, of course. Saints, Seattle Seahawks. These are all teams ahead of us by DBOA. So, it's, I mean, even if we were to get to the Super Bowl, we're going to play a team that's going to throw the ball against us. And so when you start talking about we, we can't score 20 points a game, and that's what we're averaging. We're averaging 20, 21 points a game offensively. I'm taking out the defensive points because they don't count. You take out those you, – you look at the 20, 21 points a game we're scoring, and you look at these other teams that are putting up 30-plus. This is a big deal. And the fact that Bill O'Brien continually – is being rewarded right now for being super conservative does not help. And so he can score 20 points against the Broncos and pray that McManus misses a long field goal, but that doesn't work against every other team in the freaking league that actually scores points. So we talk about when we say things like, you know, this, this team is, you know, we're living 2015 and people get so upset about that because we're freaking reliving 2015, Matt. Yeah. And also just like watching the rest of the teams in the league. Like when you watch the Rams, when you watch the Saints, when you watch the Chiefs, when you watch the Patriots, and you like watch how aggressive they are throughout the entire game, when you watch what they do in offense, and then you watch the Houston game, it's just kind of flabbergasting the difference between the great offenses and football and Houston's, you know, average, just slightly below average one, depending on what measure you want to look at it. And the difference between that and what these great offenses are doing and what they're doing throughout the entire game, like the Panthers went, scored 35 points and, you know, by the third quarter against Tampa Bay, and they kept their ones out there. They kept running their offense, and they ended up having to play uh, – they ended up having to score 42 to win that game. But, like, they still kept doing it. They still kept running their offense. They still kept doing interesting things. And they made sure to pour it on a Tampa Bay team that can you know, score some points. And so, just like in general, like, it's just kind of a – it's, it's more like this is the opportunity to get better so you can win these games in the future that as of right now it looks like you can't win. And right now I just don't have like any confidence at all like for you know, January and that sort of thing. And I'm enjoying right now. Like it's fun. It's fun being the Broncos in Denver. It's fun watching them miss a big field goal like that. It's fun watching Vance Joseph you know, make terrible decisions. But uh, like I would like to see Houston be more than – like a, a divisional round knockout, like an easy divisional round knockout against New England, you know? Yeah, it'd be good to be competitive, you know, when we get to the playoffs. So I would keep going back to the 2015 references. It, you know, this is a team, yes, we're going to be, we're going to be the, the skinniest kid at fat, camp, at fat camp in the AFC South. And what that's going to get us is a whooping in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just – we've I've seen this movie before Matt and I don't like the ending I want to have a shot and nothing's going to change offensively Bill O'Brien is not going to suddenly become a more aggressive head coach or an, or offensive coordinator we're not suddenly going to going to change those stripes we're still going to line up Alfred Blue behind Ryan Griffin in an I formation on fourth and one on the opponent's 20 yard line because that is a good play call for Bill O'Brien Matt yeah so uh, I want to talk, let's talk about the run offense this game because the past two weeks Lamar Miller had run for uh, 100 plus yards the last two weeks and this week Lamar Miller had 21 yards and 12 carries Alfred Blue had 39 yards and 15 carries and so what was the biggest difference in the last two weeks between these two players or not between these two players but between these two uh, rush offenses well I think I mean the it's not like the Broncos have a terrible defensive line you know and 
what I saw in this game, and I wanted to bounce this off of you because I didn't know if it was just me, but did it seem like through points of the game that the Broncos were trying to put the ball into Sean Watson's hands to make him win it? That they were happy to shut down the run game and to let Deshaun Watson try to beat them because they know that Watson's not throwing, getting the ball down the field and the play calling on offense is atrocious. Did I, I got that feeling. I don't know if that's projection. What are your thoughts? You know, I don't, I never got the feeling during it, but you know, I, I've watched this game twice now, watching it live and watching the broadcast version and, or the condensed version. And you saying that, like, I don't really remember the Broncos going to a lot of dime packages or nickel packages, or I mean, a lot of dimes specifically. They play, you know, nickel. Everybody plays a bunch of nickel. But they play a lot more base than you'd expect. And so, you know, as you brought that up, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, the Broncos did play a lot more base than you'd expect with the, whenever you're playing an offense as Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and this goes back to, so, you know, why does BFD always pick on Brain O'Brain? It's because Deshaun Watson's your quarterback. And, and he, we should be doing a lot better in different things. So – what I found interesting, so today's DVOA rankings are updated through the weekend. Our rush offense is now ranked 28. Do you remember those halcyon days when it was top five at the beginning of the season? Our passing offense, our passing offense is now 12. So that's that's gone up quite a bit. I, a lot of that was the uh, Dolphins game, though. There was a big, heavy uh, lean on that game. But so Deshaun Watson is doing. I, I feel like he's doing something. But that now the offense of the run game is is totally lacking. So you know, there's there's once again, this is a team that has some skill position guys. We should not be giving Alfred Blue the rock twenty times in a game. Mm-hmm. That we just make such poor decisions on the offensive side of the ball, it's embarrassing. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, and I mean the one the one counterpoint I had with all this is that you know, the Texans just lost Will Fuller. Uh, they've done a, a much better job with pass protection, especially the chips, like Jordan Thomas's chip that you mentioned when that touchdown DeAndre Hopkins was awesome. Brian Griffin even had a pretty good chip in this game. Uh, Jordan Aikens have been using this chip. They've been using split back shotgun formations with Alfred Blue, Lamar Miller. Should be on the defensive end on the defensive ends. And like Lamar Miller and Bradley Chubb were box were good, but I don't think they were really all that football good this game. I never felt that either one of them brought consistent pressure. The Texans also did a really good job picking up their interior stunts. Uh, you know, Lamar, I mean, Von Miller, you know, starting inside, looping outside didn't work out that well. They weren't able to kind of pick up two on the inside and create for rushes on the outside either. So, like, they did do that better. And also, like, the Texans did just lose Will Fuller. Kiki Cutie's injured as well. You know, Deshaun Watson had his lungs broken and his, or his lungs deflated and his ribs broken. And so the only thing that I have, like, I'm optimistic for the future is that whenever QD gets healthy, whenever Demarius Thomas understands this offense, and then, it, you know, whenever those two things happen, I think the, all, the passing offense can be better by default. Even though it's 12th in DVOA, I think the big difference is just that Watson isn't throwing interceptions like he was previously. And I think the one thing that can really give this offense to the next level is that Watson's not being used as a runner at all right now in the run game. The only run play that he really ran was that option pitch where he just played chicken Von Miller and was able to create, you know, three yards for the first down, third and one. Other than that, he's not being used at all. And that was the other thing I, I thought that Denver did really good with their game plan. 
was defensively they just ignored Watson in the run game. They didn't bring guys over. They didn't let him. They didn't let any idea of him maybe running fool them at all. They were just focused on the backs because Watson isn't being used as a runner at all. And so whenever Watson, if if Bill Bryan uses Deshaun Watson as a runner and then he starts running those zone reads, the bootlegs more the the boot like the, the bootlegs that aren't even pass plays all they're just pure runs uh, the options the jet sweeps those sorts of things whenever the offense starts doing that again and then they have the ability to throw the ball downfield to thomas and cutie and thomas potentially and those sorts of things i think the passing offense could be really good but until that starts happening until i see it i can't be 100 percent definite uh, but i think the po- the possibility is there for this offense to be good it's just up to bill o'brien to start doing it rather than just being super conservative and if the reason is because they lost Will Fuller and Cutie and injuries, I can get behind that, especially at six and three. But whenever December rolls around, this can't keep happening at all anymore. Because if they if they're not ready, if they're not doing this by January, it's gonna be too late and the postseason's gonna be here and they're not gonna be fully prepared and you know ready to to run that sort of offense. Yeah, once again, you can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're running a completely different offense. It's not at this point of the season. And you talk about, okay, you know, Thomas learns the playbook, we get Cutie back. We here's what also confused me about Sunday's game is, you know, Thomas was a major factor in the first drive. I get it. He learned a couple plays. They focused on him the first drive. Are you telling me you can't go back to one of those plays later in the game to get him more involved? But we didn't. And that's the sort of thing where there's, there's just way too much talent on that offense. Even if you consider the problems on the offensive line, there's way too much talent on the offense to be scoring 20 points a game. So it, why do I hate Bill Crane O'Brien so much? It's this. You said it earlier. You go back and you watch. You watch the Bears offense. You watch the New England offense. You watch a lot of these other offenses, and they're so dynamic. There's so many easy yards out there, and they're scoring so many more points. And you look at Deshaun Watson and, and Will Fuller and Lamar Miller and DeAndre Hopkins. Why can't those guys do that, right? They're just as talented. Mm-hmm. But we'd rather run Alfred Blue up the middle for two yards. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really cool to watch Sean Watson play for, like, Kansas City or New England or Cincinnati or Carolina or New Orleans or Los Angeles or any of, like, the really great offenses out there. Because, like, I mean, at, like, he's been such a good game manager lately. Like, that Dolphins game, he was spectacular. And that Dolphins, that Dolphins game should be the majority of his games. The majority of his games shouldn't be two touchdowns, 16 for 20, no interceptions, uh, doesn't take too many sacks, you know, which is a great game whenever you're playing the computer in all Madden. Whenever you're trying to become a, a potential Super Bowl team, you know, it's not – like it, it doesn't just ha- – like you, like you said, you don't just flip the switch and be great. You have to constantly keep, better, keep getting better week and week and week and week to become like a great football team, you know. Yeah, and that's – you know, why do we hate the – why is the mass head always so negative? There's too much talent on this team for us to be a trash 6-3 and three team. There's just way too much talent. And we could easily – this Texan squad could just as easily be 3-6 and six right now as it is 6-3. and three. And this should not even be remotely close to that. And it's – so that's – it's beyond frustrating. For sure. And then also you, you kind of think about next year too, whenever they play a much more difficult schedule, and you think about all those other factors that are going to go into it. And them having you know a four and three one possession record that may become seven and three, uh, that won't happen again in 2019. And you're gonna have to like I just Deshaun Watson's gonna have to get better for 
He's got to not. I think he's great, but like he's gonna have to put up the numbers, like these really great numbers for this team to reach the next level. And right now, you know, Bill O'Brien's perfectly satisfied with 2017-2013 with, uh, you know, barely scraping by the, the hole on his chin. Which is, you know, you know, when you find – I find myself um, fantasizing about watching the Rams play as I'm watching the Texans games. I do or even even the Browns are more exciting to watch because you just know you're going to see a defense who's given so much effort, creating turnovers, getting into the backfield, stuffing the run game, and then you're watching on the offensive side of the ball. It's like football from the 1930s. Well, I, I watched my first Browns game on Sunday, and it was terrible. And I hated, Other- I, I hated so much of it. Uh, so I won't, go, I won't go that far yet for the Browns, but for sure the Rams. No, you're no fun because, see, the thing with the Browns is at least they lead the league in giving up 20-plus yard plays. Okay. So <laughs> that, that's kind of fun by itself. <laughs> yeah, and like, that, game they played against, that game they played against Kansas City was really dumb because Greg Williams kept big blitzing Kansas City, and they just kept throwing screens and swing passes and kept getting you know, 60 yards or whatever and just walking in the end zone. It's like, how about you just don't big blitz Kansas City you play man coverage, and then you hope you can get rushed with your front four because that's for the only shot that you have. Yeah. Uh, so we had, we had to add on this offensive conversation we're having, we had two que- questions from Meigs on Twitter. The first one that he asked was, it seems like the offensive line's playing much better now, now that Davenport's back left tackle, where he should be all along, and Rankin not starting. Yet the offense is still mostly May, scoring around 20 points per game, uh, which is what we were talking about just now. He asked, is this conservative play calling, turtle mode, or something else? And so just to kind of sum up our, our conversation, do you think it goes back to injuries? Do you have more of an optimistic view that this is just O'Brien's doing because he's playing super genius and he has a plan for December? Or is it just kind of how he is and he's just being conservative with this play calling approach because this is how he knows how to win football games? Yeah, I've, I've actually run the uh, rope-a-dope theory through my own head a couple of times like is it is he really just rope-a-doping us and if you don't know what that is Muhammad Ali uh, uh I can't remember what match it was now it wasn't the rumble in the jungle but basically he let I think it was Frazier just wail on him for a couple of rounds and then just and and Ali just kind of moved and, and kept sitting on the ropes and as soon as Frazier got tired Ali kicked his butt so that was the rope-a-dope match if I if I remember it correctly I was a big Ali fan back in the day uh, I kind of thought about that. Is that what O'Brien's doing? And I don't think O'Brien has that kind of depth about him. Like, I don't think there's like that 11 dimensional chess thing that he's got going for him. And the reason I say that is because we, this is his fifth year with the Texans. And have you ever seen Bill O'Brien like think that anything spicier than vanilla is going to be good? And I haven't, I mean, I've got nothing to base that on. Deshaun Watson last year, when he was so successful, pushing the ball downfield, that was Deshaun Watson. It wasn't Bob's play calling. It was Deshaun Watson saying, F it, I'm going deep. And now I think because of Deshaun Watson's interception rate and the turnovers, because that creates risk, Bill O'Brien is now telling Deshaun Watson, hey, don't push the ball down the field because you might get picked off. And so what I see is is I see that Bill O'Brien is literally squashing Deshaun Watson's development at this point in time because he's not allowing Deshaun Watson to do what he does best, 
which is just play good old-fashioned street ball like a lot of the other good quarterbacks in the NFL do. Aaron Rodgers does it. Patrick Mahomes does it. Yes, there is a skill to what they're doing, but it's just letting them go out there and have fun and throw the ball around the park. That is a big deal. We've talked about it for years. And Bill O'Brien doesn't want that because, well, there might be an interception. Mm-hmm. He's willing to trade. He's willing to say, hey, look, we're going to score 20 points a game, but we're not going to have any turnovers. He's not willing to accept that, hey, we might score 30 points a game if we have a turnover or two. So that's what I see as, as I'm watching that team. And you had great questions, by the way, Meeks. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I agree with what you said. And one thing I disagree with is just I think Bill O'Brien set up a lot of those downfield throws last year with the play action. And the play action was based entirely on using Watson as a runner with the jet sweeps, with the options, mm-hmm. with the zone reads, and all those sorts of plays. And so now that Watson stopped being used as a runner, when you're running play action, it doesn't mean as much. When you're running those same sort of plays, it doesn't mean as much because defenders are completely ignoring Watson. They're not getting that sway and that pull at all. And so you're just running into the same eight-man box you would be running into anyways. And so I think the difference that happened, though, is that once Watson was throwing interceptions like he was, especially just those downfield, close his eyes, heaves and taking shots like he did, uh, Bill O'Brien just said, you know, whenever we play teams like Denver, I guess, or, uh, you know, Dallas or Buffalo, whoever, uh, teams where they don't, they, we're not really worried about them scoring points. We just need to score 20 to win. We're not going to do that because it's not worth the risk at all whatsoever. We can win this game without it. And again, like they have, but, you know, these one position wins are kind of a coin flip. And, uh, and it's, Houston's no different than any team in football, than any sport around. Your team's no different than anybody else's team. And so as work for now, I think it, it will continue to work as the schedule breaks this way. But again, just like wanting something more than you know, what we've already had, what we've already seen is kind of like the big underlying point here whenever we're kind of talking about this season specifically in this current six-game win streak. Yeah, again, we, I've seen this movie before. The ending sucked. <laughs> uh, and the last question Meeks had here was, by DVOA, the Texans defense and special teams are top four. Offense is 24th, 12th in passing, 28th in rushing. Do you think O'Brien will ever build a top 20 offense? He hasn't yet by DVOA. Does this team have the talent to do so? It certainly has the talent to do so. But I I think, once again, I'm going to go back to If you're giving Alfred Blue the ball 20 times in a game and that 3.2 yards per carry that he gives you, your your offensive mind is so conservative that you you, you, you cannot succeed in that situation. You cannot. And, and when I, what I mean by that, sure, you can score 19 points in a game. Again, we talked about 20, 21 points a game is what we're, what we're averaging right now. Sure, you can do that. But this is no longer 1979 where that's a successful strategy. This is 2018 where you've got teams that are, can easily drop a 30 bag on you without even blinking, much less 40. You can't do that in today's NFL. This is a passing era. A good offense beats a good defense. and we squelch our offense so much so much because of bill o'brien's conservative nature so no I, until he's gone i don't think so even with the talent we've got i don't think we can be better than a 20 if we were a 12 look if we were 16 by dvoa we might we'd be able to pretty you know put up a pretty good battle because you're talking like at that point you're talking you're not a 21 point a game team you're a 28 point a game team and that gives you at least a little bit more hope but at 20 nah yeah, yeah. I, I do think the talents here, I do think the capabilities here, 
Because, I mean, this offense is still a year removed from scoring uh, 31 points a game with Watson starting last year and having your big shootouts against a Seattle defense that ended up, being, ended up not being so good in the total end, but was still above average whenever Earl Thomas was healthy and Richard Sherman was healthy. Uh, so, like, that, I think the possibility is still there for it. I think even with Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator and head coach, but the problem is that the track record is still too long here. Even though that there's a possibility for it, I think he can do it. He just doesn't stick with it. He doesn't stay aggressive enough. And, uh, and also, he's hampered the team so much by his play calling. And so, like, it's weird just with football how much more important – like, record is the end-all, be-all. You know, that's what, make, that's what gets you in the playoffs. And that's what you're judged on. But record is probably the most finicky thing uh, for every team because there's only 16 games in the schedule. You know, games are played a lot closer. Uh, there's so much fluctuation in schedule as well, too. And it's so, like you're in record. Rarely ever does it actually match your performance unless you're a really good team or you're a really bad team. A lot of these teams that are kind of in the middle, what changes their team is turnover differential and one-possession record specifically, fumble recovery luck, and those sorts of things. And so there really isn't that much of a difference between Houston in like weeks 0 through 3 when everybody won Bill O'Brien fired. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. He's done a lot of things better, but like it shouldn't have taken as long as it did. And it shouldn't take him as long for him to do what worked the year before too. But again, like the biggest thing that's happened this year is the schedule broke right. And they're actually you know, doing those things that they should have done all along. You know? So I don't know. I think the possibility is still there. I just don't think it's likely. But I think it could happen maybe like in December if you know Cutie gets healthy, Thomas understands the playbook, and uh, and Bill O'Brien finally decides to be more aggressive. But it's such a big if, you know. It's possible, but it's a big if. Yeah, it's not a bet I would make. Not after five years of seeing what Bill O'Brien's going to do, I would not make that bet. Yeah, I would make the bet, but I would say it's possible. And I, and I don't think it's a talent question at all either, especially with how the offensive line has been playing better, especially with all the chipping and also like. The offensive line just playing with each other more, like you've talked about and have, have taught me how to be a more patient man, uh, has led to me understanding that, you know, you just give it some time. It's okay. Because I just took it personal, really hurt my feelings watching them play as bad as they did to start the year. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got one. I got something right. Yay for me. Hopefully, at least. <laughs> We're, all, we're always right all the time. It's never, we're never not right. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk about some more of the specific players in this game. I know this beginning of the podcast was more macro, and then we'll talk a little bit about bye week or so after that. So we'll be right back in just one second. And we're back. So the, the last thing I wanted to talk about regarding this game were just some individual players. Uh, the first was Demarius Thomas. He had three catches on three targets for 61 yards. And I liked what Bill O'Brien did in this game with him, he kind of just created like five package plays for him. Kind of like what the Saints do with like Taysom Hill, for example, where he has, he has five plays he's going to run this game. We're going to use these plays at different times, always be ready for him. And so Houston kind of came out right away, ran with Thomas. And I think even that was smart too, because it kind of scared Bronx, I think Denver in a way where they had to put like a better quarterback on him and say, actually Thomas can actually do things in this game. He's not going to be completely lost out there. Uh, my favorite play he ran was that little screen play where Kendall Lamb and Jordan Thomas uh, blocked the outside linebacker in the corner and let the edge rusher rush past uh, Thomas and ended up picking like up 17 yards or so a quick screen. And I was after that play, like I was really excited about Thomas for the future in Houston this year. 
mainly because I didn't realize how fast he was still. I thought he was a lot slower than that. And that was probably just more us to do with the way the Broncos offense has been this season more than uh, Thomas himself. Yeah. I'd love to know what he's running these days because uh, I agree with that, but you know, he's, he ran, if I remember correctly, he was like a four, three, eight out of Georgia tech. If I remember correctly. I mean, this is one fast dude. So even if he's running a four five at this point, which probably, he's probably about four, five, four, five, five at this point, that's still pretty fast. I mean, a lot of the cornerbacks in this league run in that, you know, general area and he's a big dude too. So it's, that was a lot of fun to see um, that play. And I agree. That was my favorite play. Uh, you know, he caught all three of those passes on the first drive. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I believe so. And yeah, like, and he looks, he looks really good. Like he's a lot more spry than I thought he was. And like, I've watched, I think four Broncos games this year before this one. And I don't really remember him ever, like breaking with that speed at all uh, this year. And like, he's had some bigger games and stuff too, but it seemed more kind of like DeAndre Hopkins, like one versus one isolation where he's more physical to get open. And so I was really surprised and impressed by that catch and run he had. And it was also a really good play call by really good play design by O'Brien too on that one. Yeah. It was a screen pass that worked. I mean, yeah, I couldn't believe it. That's unbelievable. (laughs) It's like he finally understood the importance of numbers advantages whenever you run screen plays. Right. Instead, just throwing it's like one guy with two guys around him. Uh, the other guy I wanted to talk about was DeAndre Hopkins. He had 10 catches on 12 targets. And he also picked up 105 yards and one touchdown. And the Texans also in this game, too, they only attempted two passes greater than 15 yards down the field, which is just – like I mean, it's just putrescent whenever you have a guy like Watson to not push the ball downfield, no matter who the pass defense is. And the Broncos do have a really good pass defense. But uh, anyways – I want to talk about Hopkins. I almost said Watson. I hate to see this announcer so much. They screwed me up this entire year by screwing up both their names throughout the entire game. But what I wanted to talk about with Hopkins with DBFD is where do you rank him in the top wide receivers in football right now? It's funny because I think this is the most asked question I get when people find out I'm a Texans fan and I'm out and about with my posse and, you know, I'm, I'm blasting my Houston Oilers theme song on my yeah, uh, yeah. beatbox on my shoulder. And people ask, this one's actually has become like one of the most asked questions I get. And it depends on how you kind of look at it, is my opinion of it. That's my hot take. Because is he the best, quote unquote, wide receiver in the league? The answer, I don't think so. I think he's top five. But I mean, you look at Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, uh, Julio Jones. I, I think he's, he's number four. But what about guys you actually want on your team? <laughs> Right? Do you want Antonio Brown on your team? Do you want Beckham on your team? Eh, probably not so much. I would say he's number two. I think Julio Jones still does things. Jones does has that better long speed. If he gets yeah. free, he's going to bust it. And Hopkins doesn't have that. And that's the only difference between those two at this point of their careers is Jones can still bust a really big play. Hopkins is not going to be that guy. But, I mean, Hopkins is the kind of the – uh, Larry Fitzgerald of his generation. And that's a pretty dadgum good wide receiver, Matt. Yeah, I think it's a really great comparison. I think they played differently because Fitzgerald was more of like a, a big receiver who could play in the slot and really took advantage of the, the change of those quick little slot receivers by you know, catching and going and running forever. Uh, but I think the way that they're able to high point the ball and how great their hands are is a, is a good comparison between the two. So I, I agree with you. I think Julio's the best wide receiver. But I think that's more about athleticism than everything else. 
And so I think, like, when you think about the most skillful wide receiver in football, I would say it's to be Hopkins now, just because the way he gets open and the offense he's, he's played in as well, too, where it's so much body manipulation, hand leverage, uh, the way he high points the ball, how strong his hands are, the way he catches everything. Like, all those little things, I think, makes him the most skillful wide receiver that whenever you factor in athleticism and long speed, and quickness, and, you know, strength, and explosion, Nessa puts Julio just slightly ahead of him, and I think Antonio Brown, you know, as he's gotten older, he's still great, but he's not as quick as he once was, and that's what's kind of hurt him, but I would put Julio one because of, it's football, athleticism is the most important thing, and then Hopkins two, I do think Hopkins is the most skillful receiver I've, I've seen uh, this year, at least. Yeah, and the hand clamp, I mean, the guy just, Scary hands. I just, yeah. I would love to shake his hands just to know how strong they are. Yeah, I like. To, I would like him to. I would like for him to give me a titty twister and see how, how bad it would hurt. That's what I want. I want it. I want it to hurt. Holy crap! I want it. That bad. went to some dark. That, that went dark quickly. Woof. Yeah, uh, I'm feeling very masochistic these days. Now that the time has gone back one whole hour and it's dark at five thirty. Right. I'm trying to talk myself into hating myself again, but to get to, get, to really enjoy and savor this winter. And the I've also I want to talk about Cream Jackson too. So Cream Jackson, what I love about him this game, I mean of course the tackling. The tackling's been phenomenal the entire year. It's been phenomenal his entire career. Now last year I forgot I wrote that post on on him about it. And it's been really cool to just kind of see that again and the see it become ubiquitous guy can't say it ubiquitous yeah ubiquitous i'm so bad talking uh throughout the you know the texans twitter and the texas knowledge sphere and so it's been it's been great to see him like finally get credit and have that be more of an understanding about his game but i've also really enjoyed what romeo cornell has done with jackson since he moved in this uh, back outside wide whenever he's in on the side of the field they have a slot receiver there he's leaving him in the slot rather than playing him outside and also he's playing him five to seven yards off the ball and so that way it's limiting how badly he can get beat intermediate routes and deep routes. And also it's pretty much baiting the quarterback to throw those smokes and screens and quick passes. And the Kareem Jackson, that's exactly what he wants because you're not going to get around him at all. And he made two really great ankle tackles this game on stopping those smokes and screens. He had another pass breakup as well too on another one. And so like, I'm just really happy that even though he's not playing safety and playing in the slot entirely like he was to start the year because of injuries that Cornell is still using him in a way that best uh, fits what he's really good at and that's his physicality his tackling and his ability to read and react on the football yeah and we've talked about Kareem Jackson in in loving terms on the tackling side for years ever since this podcast started I think I think that was the year that Kareem Jackson was was drafted but it, it's it's really amazing watching him play. That's why we wanted him at safety for so many years. The dude rarely misses a tackle. I mean, he misses some, yes. But is he has got to be, in, in the history of the cornerbacks I've watched, he's got to be one of the top two or three best tackling cornerbacks I've ever seen. And mm. it's just a joy to watch. So when we talk about the, our run defense, I mean, not only are we talking about Clowney is one of the best defensive ends against the run, and Watt's one of the best defensive ends against the run, and Reader's one of the best, you know, nose tackles against the run, and McKinney's great against the run, and Zach Cunningham is occasionally good against the run. 
But then you throw in Kareem Jackson in there, and we've got guys who just stymie the run, and it's just so much fun to watch that, Matt. Yeah, yeah, and, and like, it's, as much of, like, you know, it's a drag to watch the offense sometimes, that sort of thing. You know, watching the run defense has been, you know, really awesome. I thought it would be a top-10 run defense at a minimum. Uh, it's the best run defense in football. I thought it could potentially be a top-five run defense. And, like, whenever you make predictions, you never make them that, you know, that extreme or whatever. Uh, you know, you kind of look at your lesson after you say things like, Cleo Mack is floor is Von Miller. You know, nobody's floor is Von Miller. Von Miller won a Super Bowl on his own. But he's still, like, that level of a player. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been really cool to watch all those guys, especially just, like, whenever watching how they're doubling Watt and pulling at him, those sorts of things, and seeing how just, like, obstructive or destructive Jadavion Clowney can be at times, too. And then just seeing how everybody else comes to the ball and cleans things up. I've also really enjoyed watching Justin Reed come in and makes tackles too. Uh, he's been like I think a lot really went off in his head, and he really understands how he fits in this defense and how he can have success too. Yeah, and I, we can't talk about enough about how Justin Reed has really progressed over the past few weeks. I, I think he now with with Jackson at um, playing a lot more cornerback, he's the best safety on the team right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, we know about how I feel about Tyron Matthew too. Yeah. And it's not even that Matthew – I don't think Matthew's bad. I think he's mediocre. But I just find him so annoying because he acts a lot better than he is. He's like a you – know, he tries to be really cool, but he's not cool at all. You know, it doesn't warrant, uh, you know, the way he acts. Nah. His play, his play doesn't match his personality, you know. Right. The next player I want to talk about is Jeff Hireman. So Hireman had, <laughs> like, eight catches for – like 80 yards, and again, this is a no-fact zone real quick. I didn't write down Howerman's stats in this game. But he had some, like, 10 catches on, you know, 12 targets or whatever for 80 yards. He averaged, like, seven and a half yards a catch. He had a touchdown. He stiffed on Tyron Matthew. Uh, so dirty, and I can't wait to get that tattooed on my throat. And the reason why I wanted to talk about Howerman was because he really hasn't done anything yet this year. And also, the Texans are 30th in pass defense DVOA entering this game against tight ends, and doesn't even count Howerman's stats yet. Uh, so what can Houston do differently against tight ends? Because they've been beat by them a lot this year. Well, and let's not forget, because we can't leave Matt Lacoste out of the, out of the uh, conversation as well. Who yeah, had, he had a 44-yard catch. 44-yard <laughs> catch. So you, you start to round it up, and, and their tight ends had 127 yards receiving against us on, on 11 receptions. That's pretty terrible. And, and again, just to put it in perspective, uh, Howerman had uh, 15 catches coming into the game this season. He had 10 on Sunday. Zach Cunningham wasn't active. I don't think a whole lot of them as far as a pass defender anyway. But we're going to have to do something differently. Uh, Tyron Matthew got burned several times by Howerman. I, you know, it's – there's a reason why we're one of the worst teams against tight ends. Um in the passing game, and it really stood out. It was that was flat out depressing at times. The way they were just able. There was a couple of drives. There was one drive in particular. I think it was the second quarter, where it just seemed like it was Keenum to Howerman all the way down the field, like for the entire drive, like four or five catches. Matt, mm-hmm. it was embarrassing. Yeah, and their their little two minute drill too in the game was a lot of Howerman involved as well, especially on like you know third and one, that fourth and one play they converted uh, by getting him the ball. And like I, I feel like I was watching Robert Gronkowski on Sunday, and instead it was. You know, Howerman, this guy I've never even you know, watched or heard of before. I guess apparently he won a national championship with Ohio State. Yeah, but, oh, how I hate Ohio State. Yeah. 
and I think I think that's kind of really the key what you said there though is they're gonna have to do something involving Bernard and McKinney. You know, McKinney's great at a lot of things. He's a he's great standing up guards. He's great at tackling. He's great chasing tackling. He's great at blitzing from the interior. The one thing he's not good at is covering guys in man coverage. And so he was playing a lot of man coverage against Howardman at times. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Matthew playing there as well, too. I think Houston in general, whenever they get these, you know, third and 12s, third and eights, these sort of situations, they should just not even have a linebacker on the field. Uh, even if you're playing Brian Peters, that's not going to help you. If you're playing Brent Scarlett, it's not going to help you. If you're playing Callum Bayi, it's not going to help you. And so I think in general, just load up on as many defensive backs as you have out there. Play Tyson, play Reed, play Jackson, uh, play Matthew, play Sharice Wright. You know, play everybody else you can and just keep the linebackers off the field in long situations because they've been getting torched by tight ends so far this year. Yeah, and the other, you know, let's talk about it. The way that uh, Cornell used to use uh, Anthony Pleasant as the um, – uh, dime linebacker, linebacker? Yeah, that nickel linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. Uh, you remember that? Yeah, I remember wouldn't that. that was be really a, cool. Yeah, wasn't that? Wouldn't that be a great role though for Justin Reed? I mean, Reed's got the size. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible watching Eddie Pleasant though. Like you watch a guard pull for him, and I'm sitting there on my computer watching all twenty two doing the sometimes <laughs> and toss every time it happens. Right. Yeah, but I think I think Reed would be perfect though. I think Reed could play inside. I think Reed at inside linebacker on third and twelve would be a lot better than Bernard and McKinney just with how bad they're going to be by tight ends and running backs in the pass game. Yep. Yeah, something has to change drastically. I mean, look, at some point you're going to have a weakness on your team. That's our weakness. I'd rather – but going back to the earlier conversation, you go back to the team's high-end offensive DVOA, KC's got Travis Kelsey. Uh, the Rams, eh, we can pass on that one. Chargers also pass. New Orleans pass. Uh, Carolina's got Greg Olson, Atlanta's got Hooper, New England's got Gronkowski, uh, Pittsburgh's got Jesse James. These are some pretty good tight ends that, that are able to do things against poor teams, and that's, that's your matchups when you get that far. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to change. And, like, I, I do wish Houston played a, a better pass offense this year because you really aren't going to get the chance to see how good they are. Uh, the one team they played was New England week one, and New England took them about like five weeks to figure themselves out with all the different skill players they had. And then they played the Colts, but T.Y. Hilton got knocked out immediately, and Andrew Luck still wasn't throwing the football uh, with the whole last strength yet either. So, I mean, we really have, have no idea how good the Texans defense is or how uh, mediocre it is until the playoffs. And it's exciting, I guess, in a way. It's super intriguing, but uh, – you know, it's, it's really weird, though, to, have, to be this far in the year and also to play 16 football games and not really have a great understanding on, you know, what exactly this defense is going to look like whenever they play an actual real postmodern NFL offense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to the conversation. Who has Jonathan Joseph actually played? I mean, you know, we are taking advantage of having one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. It's just – and not only that, the AFC South is a dumpster no, – uh, been again, you know, none of these teams are good. What the hell is going on with Matt LaFleur and Marcus Mariota in Tennessee? They're terrible. They're not even fun to watch. You know what team that reminds me of? It reminds me of watching the Longhorns play because they basically have three plays and none of them work. And they're and half of, and one of the plays is a shovel pass. <laughs> oh my God. It's so painful. Yeah. I can't, I, you know, 
I love to tie it up, but I haven't been able to tie it up at all this year. Like, it's revolting watching them play. Uh, I know – and, like – and it's also fun just, like, how much better their offense was than Mike Malarkey, too, as much as he was maligned and made fun of. Uh, their offense was a lot better with him around than it's been with Yellow Fleur and Babriel and some of the draft picks and kind of decisions they made to try to get receivers there. Just, like, nothing they've done has worked at all. No. Nah. No, and Mari- Mariota's part of the problem, which yeah, he is. shocks me. And they and I don't know what they're going to do there. It's kind of a Jameis question, too, where I think both teams are probably going to give the fifth-year option. But what happens after that is, like, they have these, they've had these quarterbacks for four years, and they have no idea what they are, what they're going to do with them. Yeah, the, the, that's too – I mean, you know, when those two guys were drafted, did you think to yourself four years from now – they're going to be wondering if they should take the fifth year off. <laughs> I mean, was that even a question that came to your mind? Wow. I mean, I, th- I think it does with any rookie quarterback because it's such a, a spin the wheel. But for both of these quarterbacks to be in the same situation and they've kind of gone through the same circumstances is just unbelievable. Uh, so the, the last character I want to talk about in this game is Vance Joseph. So Vance Joseph is a former defensive backs coach of the Texans, former defensive coordinator of the Dolphins now a head coach of the Denver Broncos, was the head coach last year. And I believe the Broncos went 6-10 and 10 with him as the head coach last year. And they have drafting you know, Bradley Chubb about six overall. And that was also a team with a great run defense. The pass defense wasn't that good. Uh, they could run the ball pretty okay. But their quarterbacks were, oh, man. Man, I hate, I hate this so much whenever I can see his face, but I can't uh, name him at all. What's that, what's that quarterback stand from Northwestern again? Crud. Which one? Oh, I'm blanking. It's Trevor Simeon. They had Trevor Simeon, and they had the mustache pirate. Paxton Lynch and uh, – oh, God, I can't remember. Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler started for him as well, too, last year. Yeah, well, they had Kelly. I don't know if he – did he start for them at all? He didn't start for them at all. Yeah, but Brock Osweiler started. Lynch and Simeon started last year. So they brought him back again this year. Uh, Denver's ninth in DVOA. They have a great run offense, a great pass defense, and uh, they should be better in three and six. And so Joseph made you know three terrible decisions in this game. He kicked a 62-yard field goal whenever Houston had about 40 seconds on the clock and two timeouts. Uh, McManus missed horrendously. The Texans ran two plays, kicked a field goal of their own, ended up with three more points in the half, uh, went, went up 16-7 entering halftime at that point. He also challenged a DeAndre Hopkins catch where it really seemed like Joseph had no idea what the catch rules actually are now. And the third thing he did was the Denver, Denver, whenever they had their game-winning drive, they had about three minutes and 44 seconds left. They got the ball away in Houston's territory. They were set for a 49-yard field goal. They had one timeout left. Rather than stop the clock on second down and get an additional play out of it, or you have an additional pass play into the ball anywhere in the field at all whatsoever, or call a timeout there, run one more play, and get out of bounds, potentially spike it again. He instead ran the ball to Philip Lindsay, lost the yard, made a 50-yard field goal, and then took call a timeout with four seconds left and left it at that. So rather than maximize his probability to win the game, and try to turn a 49-yard field goal into a 45-yard field goal, a 42-yard field goal, anything to make it easier than 49 yards, he became a 50-yarder and make mass missed, and the Texans end up winning at 19-17. So – BFD, we both agree these decisions were these decisions were obviously terrible. Was this the worst batch of decisions a head coach has made against Houston so far during this little six-game win streak of theirs? 
The only one that's more befuddling is Frank Reich. Uh, you know, we, we talk about context, but if you're Frank Reich and you're, you have Andrew Luck as your quarterback and you've got four wide receivers who are basically UDFAs on your team and you have no real running back and you go for it in fourth down, that's also a pretty poor decision. Context is everything. That's actually a time you probably want to play for the tie. Vance Joseph really wanted to lose this game, and he seemed to go out of his way to do it. And I just – I don't – I've got nothing good to say about him for this game. It's picking the, the 62-yard field goal. Really? And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, wait, we just need like 15 yards and we're in yeah. field goal range. If they miss that, it, it, that was befuddling. At best, that was just horrible decision-making by Joseph. Yeah. And again, like I didn't realize how bad that decision was until I went back and watched it. And I still can't believe it. And it's because like what you just said, the Texans still had time left on the clock. You attempt a 62 yard field goal when there's three seconds left, when the Texans don't have any timeouts, you know, and that's for a situation. You don't attempt it whenever the Texans can stop the ball twice. Like they did. Uh, it was just, you know, that defiantly stupid. It's like, I shouldn't be alive, stupid. So I'm going to side with Joseph here just because he made two horrendously dumb decisions, whereas Reich just made, you know, one really bad one. And, and I think the problem with Reich's decision was just the amount of time left on the clock. You know, at fourth and six, even if they convert there, they still only have, you know, like 12 seconds or so left to get another 20 yards to kick a field goal. And so the reward really isn't worth the risk there at that point. Yeah, no, no. And then just playing for the – playing for 51-year – Yard field goal is stupid. It's off the chart stupid, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been – you know, it's really funny. that One of the things I've learned about the NFL this year is you watch, you watch a bunch of teams or whatever, you watch a bunch of games, and there's just such a dramatic difference between, like, the stupid coaches and the stupid teams and, like, the, the smart and the talented teams. And, like, Denver's a really dumb team right now with Joseph and Musgrave, uh, you know, leading their team. And I, I, I'll never forget what he did that Sunday, that Sunday afternoon to make the Texans 6-3. and three. Uh, And as long as the Texans are in the AFC, you know, the longer range Joseph is there, it's just going to make the Texans even better too in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about the AFC South playoff picture, uh, bye week plans, and then if we have any changes at all, some of our preseason predictions. And we're back. So we've been we – talked, we talked a little bit about the playoffs already. Uh, I alluded to some of the teams that could potentially play, you know, come January. But we're still not enter- entirely there yet. It's still week 10. And so right now, Football Outsiders has the Texans ranked 28th in past schedule and 30th in future schedule. Uh, that's something I said incorrectly earlier. I said the other way around. But so, again, the Texans are 28th in past schedule and 30th in future schedule. The Jaguars ranked 21st in future schedule. Indy ranks 25th. And Tennessee ranks 13th. And so this, of course, goes – uh, hardest to easiest. Houston has an 82.4% chance to make the playoffs. Tennessee is 18.6%. Jacksonville 16.4%. And India has an 8.8% chance. So, BFD, my question for you is what's more likely, the Texans snag a bye for the postseason now that they're 6-3, and three, or one of these AFC, AFC South teams catch up to them? Frankly, I don't know how we lose a game the rest of the year, aside from the uh, the Eagles matchup, just because that's, I mean, that's a real football team we're going to be playing there. Because when you look at our schedule, it is pretty trashy. And we talked about this last week. 
So we've got the bye this week. Then we've got uh, the Washington uh, matchup. And once again, another team relies on the run. Got the BESFs again, Monday night. They're, they're bad. Cleveland, bad. Colts, bad. Jets, bad. Philly. It's kind of worse, too. Yeah. And then and Jacksonville is the last game of the season. You're not going to get your wish at that Jacksonville game. I know. Be the it's division. Yeah. It's so sad. we have, out of the remaining seven games, only one of them is like a true, really difficult game. The one at Philly. I don't see us wanting that. So we're going to wind up going into the playoffs at 12 and four, which is crazy to think about. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to get the bye, and then we're going to get blown out by Kansas city, Matt. Yeah. And that's the team that can potentially stumble. Well, I don't know. Things can, he's been so good and New England's been so good. The good thing, the thing about new England is they have the opportunity to play the bills again, the jets again, and the dolphins again. Whereas the Chiefs have beat the Broncos twice, but they haven't played the char- they played the Chargers once. The Chargers actually played them really tough, and and so like they they still have some tougher games left on their schedule, uh, unlike Houston. I think the funny thing about Houston's schedule too is like you're saying, like we talked about how it's broken for them three weeks ago, and they went to three and three, and then now at six and three, it's even gotten easier, which is uh, so hilarious on its end. I don't think the Texans are gonna be able to clinch a bye. I don't think they're beating teams by enough points for this like four game one possession win streak to keep going. They'll eventually hiccup here and there. I think they'll probably end up maybe 11 and five, but I also think that Kansas city and new England are just too good. And I can't see Kansas city stubbing their toe, which just like how spectacular their offense is this year uh, to fall down to, you know, the 12 and four that it would take for Houston possibly catch up to. Right. Yeah. Agreed. But if I had to pick between the two, I would say Houston making the bias more likely than, let's say, the Tennessee Titans getting hot and going for a run and taking the division from them. No, and and the, uh, <laughs> sorry, we we kind of talked about this earlier, and, and I'm sorry to go back to it, and I I, sh- I meant to think about it earlier too. Is is are you getting the feeling that last year Doug Marone? like saw Blake Bortles for what he was and said, look, this is a game manager kind of quarterback and that's all I want him to do. And he's kind of, hasn't even been very good at that. Um, but do you kind of get that feel? That's what Bill O'Brien's doing with Deshaun Watson, like right in front of our eyes. It's just kind of turning him into a game manager. Just a guy who's not going to lose you the game, but also a guy who's not going to win the game for you. <laughs> so you know, I, never, I never, I never thought that. Now I'm horrified. And that, I don't want that. I don't want that thought in my head at all, whatsoever. I know that's I, a bad juju, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I just keep telling myself that you know the offensive line was not good, starting to play a little bit better. You know, Watson was turning the ball over a lot. He was hurt from all the hits he took. He just needs some time to recover. Uh, they just lost Will Fuller. Kiki Cutie's not here, but he'll be back. You know, probably in a month. Then Marius Thomas has some offense. I'm gonna keep telling myself that because I don't want to. I don't want to hear that at all. That really, really horrifies me. And just, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, like, I'm not going to stop thinking about it. I'm having nightmares now tonight. Sorry, my man. God. Yeah, but I, yeah, man. Well, my, so you talk about Doug Marone, Blake Bortles. Do you think from, from the AFC South, are you surprised by how bad it is this year? I admit that I am. I really thought Matt LaFleur was going to do something with Mariota. And uh, you and I had a back and forth that, you know, 
their offense was better under the exotic meth mouth. And how can you argue with that at this point in time? It really was. How is Matt LaFleur not excelling with, with Mariota? So that worries me. Uh, if you care about such things, I, I wanted LaFleur to coach the Texans next year, and that's not going to happen. We're going to be stuck with one more year of Alpha Blue up the middle for two yards. So that didn't happen. Blake Bortles was actually looking like a good game manager. They had a good game plan. They were going to throw those little the slants of the short little uh, wide receivers to the Jaguars. They're going to run all over the field. That's not working out so well this year. The defense has clearly regressed. We expected that. There, that team, that team, let me take that back. Blake Bortles has been even worse than I expected him to be. Mm-hmm. The Colts with Andrew Luck, they were going to suck. I said that from the get-go. So the AFC South has been, seriously, like a lot worse than I thought it was going to be, Matt. Yeah. No, it's been a lot worse than I thought it was going to be, too. I thought we would have at least two playoff teams. I picked the Texans to make the playoffs to pick the Jags from the division. I picked the Jags to go to the Super Bowl this year. I thought they – I really like what they did by doubling down on, you know, their identity offensively uh, and then also their defense. You know, I thought it was going to regress a little bit. I thought it was mainly because of injuries, and they just aren't playing as well. I think A.J. Boy has also been hurt this year, too. He, he missed that Eagles game with the calf injury, and he hasn't looked himself. He's not breaking the ball as quickly. Uh, but just in general, the defense has regressed, and the offense has faced so many injuries, too. And it's been kind of the other way around, where you expect the defense that was super healthy to have all the injuries, and it was the offense this year. And then you had that defensive regression and the fact that they can't get a lead and everything else, and it's just a complete mess. And so one of the things that's interesting about that, too, like when you play a style of football that's so tight and so, like, super square, whenever anything invades at all and it's not perfect at all anymore, like, things really kind of fall apart quickly. You're seeing that in Jacksonville. Um, I thought the Titans were just – they're not good at anything specifically. Like the best thing that they're at is pass protection. And even then, like, with Mary Odin not being able to throw the ball deep, there's, being good at pass protection really doesn't matter unless you're throwing the ball downfield really far. And so they just don't – they're just not really good at anything all that much. And also Brian Rackpo and Derek Morgan haven't been as good as they've been in previous seasons. And the Colts, like, this was pretty much a year where uh, Chris Burke said, hey, like, we're, we're not going to spend money in free agency. Let's get Andrew Luck back to playing again. Let's spend a bunch of mo- – let's spend not a bunch of money, but let's sign as many players as we possibly can. Let's draft as many players as possibly can and take some shots at the lottery, see if we can win some lottery tickets. And they've done that, you know, with guys like Darius Leonard. Uh, Margaret Sutton's been incredible this year, which is so funny still. They found some pretty good cornerbacks, these UDFAs, the six-round picks. And, uh, and, like, they're in a better spot going into next year. And so, like, next year is the time where I believe they actually invest and do some things differently. But, yeah, I'm with you there. Like, I'm, I'm really surprised by how bad this division's been this year. I thought it was going to be more than fun. Like, it's been the two previous seasons. I thought it was going to actually be good and has been good at all. No, it's been it's been a terrible division, and it kind of makes me sad. It really does because it'd be good for this division to be good um, for a change, right? Wouldn't it be nice for us to say, "Hey, we beat some really competitive teams." Instead, it's like, "Yeah, we beat the trash heap." That's the Jaguars. That's no fun to say. Yeah, it hurts my feelings, you know. And like last year, it, that was the closest it's been to being good since what, like two thousand ten or two thousand. Actually, it was like 2007 when the Jaguars, Titans, and Colts all made the playoffs. And the Jaguars, you know, of course, uh, beat the Steelers in the divisional round and the Colts, you know, with the AFC title game and all that sort of stuff. But that was the last time the division was actually good. 
And I thought this was the year it's finally going to happen, and it did not happen at all. No, yeah. So since the the Texans aren't playing football this weekend, what are you going to be doing on Sunday? Are you going to watch everybody else all day? Uh, Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to pick some pumpkins? Pick your nose? (laughs) Pick your belly button? What are you going to do instead? Oh, my gosh. Anything but uh, what my wife wants me to do is pretty much the answer to that. (laughs) Go on a homes tour. Like, screw that. I don't want to go on a stupid homes tour. Go see a bunch of rich people's homes and go, oh, God, I'm so happy I can't afford that. Thank you for taking to, you know, me to this wifey. Um, Can you use their toilets on those homes tours? Uh, you're not supposed to. It's kind of like an unwritten rule. Uh, I will admit that I have laid the hammer down in one of the toilets, and then the docent smelled it and was not happy with me. Anyway. Hell yeah. yeah, hell yeah. Um, right <laughs> it was a beer poop, too. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, no, I just, uh, I will probably be working on Sunday and, uh, I will probably have uh, the red zone channel up and that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty nice. I'm either going to go up to Dallas and watch a Dallas stars game and visit my brother, or I'm going to stay here in town and maybe go take the dog for like a six hour walk, wait until you get home at six o'clock, pop on the condensed games and watch six hours of football. Just like, 45 minutes at a time and just shoot it directly into my frontal lobe, you know? Yeah, that's, that sounds like a great idea. So I, I that's what my plan is. Or maybe I'll go to church. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, so for the rest of the year, do you have any bold predictions for the rest of the season? I don't. I, I saw your question on that one. I don't. I think pretty much everything stays the same for me. Kirk Cousins is starting to really come around in, in Minnesota. That's a fun team to watch. They can run the ball uh, now too, which is a yeah. They haven't been able to do that all until the past two weeks or so. Yeah, and Murray's really coming around, and and Dalvin Cook is almost kind of healthy, sort of, kind of, sort of. So I think that team's going to get really good as we uh, get toward the end of the season. Atlanta's a lot of fun to watch again. Ito uh, Smith, the running back backup, it has has looked great, and then Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. There are a lot of really good teams out there this year, Matt, that, that are explosive, that can put up a lot of points. A lot of these teams have blemishes. But, uh, you know, I, I will once again say I just absolutely love watching the Rams play. I love watching Carolina play. I love watching the Bears. I love watching the Chargers. There are some really fun teams out there that are good on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and – I, you know, I completely agree with you. And the biggest thing I wanted to say about this question was just like, I was super worried about not liking football this year because all summer long, it was just that constant drag of this helmet rule, this quarterback rule, this interference rule, this scandal, this thing here, that thing there, this owner is a terrible person, this player is a terrible person. And I was just nauseated by it. And I was just really worried the physicality of the game was to be completely removed. And then, you know, the past, four, the past month or so, a lot of those quarterback penalties aren't being called like they were. Uh, guys are able to make hits, and nothing is, like, egregious being called. The game's being played, I feel like, in a, in a much safer way. I think the players have done a really great job acclimating the new climate of it. And now that guys can actually tackle again, because I think that's the biggest difference between the first four weeks and the last four weeks of the football season, is defenders are actually, like, in shape. They're used to the grind of it. They actually know how to tackle again. And so the offenses are still great, but they're not games are not every game is 38-31 anymore. We're actually seeing 21-13 football games, kind of like the one we just saw last weekend. 
And like, I'm just really enjoying watching football. And uh, it's a really great thing is like this being my favorite sport to watch and like have that fear that this is a thing that I really like. I may not like anymore. I was kind of worrying some, but like no, the past few weeks, like I've loved it. And I've really loved a lot of these games and watching a lot of these teams as well too. Uh, the only, the only really big bowl prediction I have is I'm going to stick with my prediction that the saints are going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, after I think the key to being the Rams is you have to stop Todd Gurley in their run game because so much of what they do is predicated off of that. And the Saints have the second-best run defense by DVOA. They stopped Todd Gurley really well in that game. And I think they can do it again in the postseason. And also with the inside track now to have you know, that one seed, having to play New Orleans the entire way is a lot different than uh, the, new, the Saints having to actually go on the road. So that's my big, bold prediction is I think the, tie, the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl. And the second thing I want to say is I really hope Todd Gurley wins the MVP. Because he's going to have like 30 touchdowns this year. And passing touchdowns don't mean anything. There's a ton of great quarterbacks. Matt Ryan has a, should be the MVP then if we're talking just purely quarterback play. Or, you know, Patrick Mahomes for that matter. Uh, either one of those two guys. But there's so many great quarterbacks. But nobody is as, like, incredible as Curly is when it comes to, you know, running and scoring touchdowns. And he means so much for that Rams offense too, which is what, like, the second best offense in football. Yeah, and the thing if you know, you say that, yes, it's right, by DVOA is number two. How good does Todd Gurley make Jared Goff look? Yeah. And so I've talked about for years that, that nobody should ever take a running back in the first round, but Gurley's an exception. And uh, Alvin Kamara is an exception. What else? guy to watch my goodness gracious yeah he's Marshall you know, Falk is Alvin Kamara yeah he's Marshall Falk on steroids the guy's crazy Ezekiel Elliott not so much so I, I think it, you have to get a guy who can do it in every facet of the game Elliott's fine I think I'm just not a really big fan of his but I, I see Kamara and I see Gurley and I'm thinking like these are the guys you want to take number one yeah yeah I was anti first round running back too and then you see what Gurley's doing. Uh, you kind of saw what – you know, Fournette was, was really important to the offense last year. It wasn't, like, great by yards per carry standards, but he meant a lot to the offense and, you know, what they did with their interior run attack. And then some of the other guys that were kind of picked, like, eighth, like Melvin Gordon, what he's done in uh, Los Angeles. And so, you know, there, there's times for it. And I think it just kind of depends on what your offense is doing. But at the same time, like, you can find great running backs in the fifth round. But you can find, like, tr- transcendent, like, incredible, like, uh, you know, sort of guys in, like, the top, like, you know, six or seven picks or so, too. Yep. Yep. Uh, and also, I just want to say, I really enjoy watching running backs play again, which is a lot of fun. Like, I love watching McCaffrey. I love watching Hunt. I love watching Kamara and Gurley and Gordon. Uh, like, it's awesome that there's really good running backs again. Because it was kind of sad when you have these guys who, like, play five years they're used up and thrown away. Nobody thinks of them again. And so it's awesome that, you know, these guys are actually an important part of football again instead of just being swing route, you know, catchers. Yeah, and, and we get to watch Alfred Blue to the rock 20 times. Again. Yeah. Hey, it was only 15 this time. It was only 15 this time. 3.2 3. yards of carry this year. You got to get him involved, man. Ryan Griffin at fullback. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that was that was peak Bill O'Brien. Like I didn't think Bill O'Brien can make a worse play call than putting Griffin and Blue in an I formation with tight ends expected to to do things on the outside. 
on a fourth and one and it's a dive, Bill O'Brien called it. I mean, if I were to think of the worst Bill O'Brien play call, that would be it, and he did it. Yeah, so I, I think that's his peak. Matt. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know that he had Ryan Griffin line up as fullback on that play. And now that you said that, I'm going to have to probably write a film room on it, like a really quick one, uh, like tomorrow at like 1230 at night and just knock it out in 30 minutes or whatever. Because Ryan Griffin lying up at fullback is just so horrendously stupid. So I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, you put your worst offensive player behind your second worst offensive player. And I'm including the linemen, right? That, that's what they did and expected to succeed. And then some, it was really funny because somebody on Facebook then said, you know, because a couple of plays later, of course, uh, uh, Matthew forced the fumble and we got the ball back. We got the touchdown. And somebody on Facebook said it was all Bill's strategy to, to, to keep them deep in their own uh, on their own end so that we could get the uh, turnover. Somebody actually thought that was a strategy by Bill O'Brien. See, the thing is, it's not an actual strategy, but it's one of the reasons why you go for it in those situations, the opponent's red zone. Is that like, yeah, even if you don't get it, they still have the ball out there, you know, 18-yard line or whatever. And then if you're able to force them three and out, you get, you know, really good field position again. And it won't be that hard to get in the field goal range again, you know? Like, that's kind of the accentuation of it. But to say, oh, yeah, they did it because he knew they would get turnover is just uh, – it's – I wish I could love my, t- love my favorite teams as much as that person does. Right, right. Just the blind – the blind love is just so utterly ridiculous. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be weird. It'd be weird to live differently like that. But those are – it's just a different way of life, I guess. Right, right. Uh, but, but that's why I've, I've wasted my entire life riding $3,000 quarterbacks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some people waste their, waste their youth at uh, bars and beaches and mountain slopes, and I've wasted mine writing uh, articles that, you know, 12,000 people read about the Texans were an offense, you know. Right. I, w- I wouldn't have it any other way, though. So, anyways, that's all we have for tonight. Uh, next week, we're going to – BFD and I will do a show next Tuesday night. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we'll probably do some sort of bye week thing. Potentially, we may have one show tomorrow, and we may have one show on, on uh, Friday. Or we may have one show on Thursday, one show on Friday. Friday will, of course, be the Week 10 NFL preview that I do my friend Taylor. And Luke and I were talking about doing a show on Thursday. So you may get a couple extra shows for your weekend so you can listen to us while you watch, you know, your week 10 uh, football instead and put that on mute instead of listening to, you know, David Deal uh, spit Laguini out of his mouth the entire time. So whatever. But thanks for being on tonight, BFD. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. My name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to All Red Radio. Woo! I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>